up y'all what's up y'all welcome to another episode of we don't know her i'm katie and i'm christy and today we have a very alcohol ick um you know well not alcoholic but you know a non-alcoholic version uh or like a a virgin cocktail yeah episode we're going to be talking about our relationship with alcohol or not or lack thereof um you know our experiences with it where we feel our relationship is with it now i think that like we'll get into it but Drinking has been so normalized in our society and like you drink when you're happy, you drink when you're sad, you know, for whatever. I don't know that a lot of people really examine their relationship with alcohol before it's too late, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and that's something that you and I have done a ton. So we're going to talk about our experience with that. And as, as per usual with obviously any topic we talk about, we always want to make sure that we're sensitive to everybody's story because we're only speaking from our own experience. Mm -hmm. However, with this topic in particular, I think it's important to just say that there's no agenda behind this. We are not rallying for or against drinking. We do also understand that there are a lot of people out there who do suffer from addiction and alcoholism. And of course, we are very sensitive to that. And um, this is more so just something where we are kind of telling our story and what we've learned from our own relationships as opposed to what we think that other people or how other people should live their lives. And, you know, if you if you or someone that you do know does have a problem with alcohol, we see you, we hear you, and we totally sympathize with you on both ends, you know? Yeah, we're not, we're definitely, we're going to get into, each of us have our own experience. Uh, we're not unfamiliar with alcoholism let's put it that way neither of us suffer from it but we are not uh we're familiar with it and we've seen it and we've experienced what it can do so this is in no way to make light of it if anything it's honestly to kind of take it more seriously and Mm -hmm. that i i do take it very seriously and it's and it's a position that it's not something that is a far-off thing that oh that just happens to some people there's a lot of people and you could be one of them uh, me, I could be one of them, and it's always important, I think, to like keep yourself in check, like you do with anything. Yeah, and we we don't have um, expert advice on how to talk to somebody in your life who you think has a problem with alcohol or anything like that. So we're not. But there's even a going lot to, of professional yeah there places are, to go for that. Um, I would definitely recommend looking into resources, but that is unfortunately not us. We just want to share our story and what it was like for us. Yeah. Um, so before we dive in, let's do a little recap, catch up and see where we're at in our lives. I know that you have, I'm going to let you go ahead and go first because I, well, what, what is going on with you? I just, I feel like this week has been so long and so short at the same time. I feel like it's been an eternity Mm -hmm. since we last recorded. I don't know why. And, you know, I mean, just like any other week, I feel like every week is a different whirlwind. Today we are dealing with winter weather. I know, last week we were saying May, it's the so end of hot, May. Yeah. and I'm wearing a full bone winter sweater right now. It was, you know, that in and of itself, I am bitter. I'm a little bit bitter about it, but we're just making the best of it like we always do. Mm-hmm. And um, what else? So there were a couple of things that I wanted to update you on. Mm-hmm. And so I did watch the Friends reunion. So did I. I watched it last night. I, think. I was going to text you, but I'm actually glad I kind of subconsciously waited to tell you on the podcast too. So I'm glad let's discuss this. Because it was clearly a sensitive subject for somebody on this podcast last week. And um, 
I, you know, I, again, I don't need to repeat my stance on reunions and remakes and whatever, but I will say that while watching it, they did kind of touch on that point exactly about remaking an mm-hmm. older show. And I'm glad that they articulated it because it kind of, it put into words for me what I can't say for myself, where I just sound like a bitter, a little bitter Betty last mm-hmm. week where I'm like, how dare they touch my my novelty shows and like remake things but they said in the reunion that the reason they they had never done you know a reboot of the show or James Corden the host of the reunion he mentioned a movie like he was like have you guys ever thought about making a movie or a reboot like, of the show like what would that even a movie no James it would be like a Seinfeld movie a movie about what I think Nothing. he misspoke but I just ignored it but either way just... so the producers of the show they were like we never really needed to you know everything kind of ended very happily and packaged up very nicely so why unravel you know mm-hmm. a happy ending for everybody and that's kind of how I feel yeah I thought um I definitely teared up multiple times like multiple multiple times um throughout I was extremely unsettled by Matthew Perry um I know so you know I kind of I that's the other thing just kind of speaking <sighs> really speaking hard. from a sensitive place I I know that his behavior or his um demeanor on the show on the reunion was a topic of conversation Mm -hmm. and a part of me almost kind of feels inappropriate for talking about it it's kind of like I don't know I have no idea like I do know that yes he has a history with addiction and everybody is like going right for that as far as speculating why he's acting the way that he was like you know is he on is he on something he didn't seem like he was on something to me to me personally I think why I said it was unsettling is because uh, I guess it actually does fit perfectly in with this episode today because I he looks like someone who used to do a lot of drugs and drink a lot and that changes your brain it changes your personality it changes the relationships you have with everyone you know and I saw people that I know in him in the way Mm -hmm. that he was acting and when everyone else trying to like make light of it and like walk on eggshells because you know there's that one person who's like um not who they used to be in in whatever and there's a darkness that comes with it and I just it I don't know it upset me especially it wouldn't have been so jarring because of course like he's in the news all the time I've seen recent photos of him I know what all these people look like but they kept doing the flashbacks of like what he who he used to be Mm -hmm. and it was so hard to I think see that juxtaposition mm-hmm. when the rest of them are all almost the women like there's something creepy going on they look the same all of the women look like mildly aged yes Courtney Cox has much bigger lips she's gotten things done she likes to you know do that shit but even in general yeah, like, even aside part. everyone everyone in Hollywood gets plastic surgery those three in particular look really good and I really good. I will say <laughs> and that I know they're richer than God, but like still. I mean, all of them. I think. I think Matt LeBlanc has definitely. He's just gotten a little portlier, Ooh, but, but he's still, like, you see it in him. Like his personality is still there. Love so him. I, I wanted. I did want to say just. I wanted to declare my love for Matt LeBlanc, which is like a new. <laughs> it's like a. I'm like retroactively attracted to him. Like I'm like I love him now. His current self, like seeing him on the reunion, I was like, oh my god, I love you. Like you're just. He a was sweet always soul. mine. He's my type. But then looking back on the flashbacks that they were showing, I was like, oh my God, how did I never, it was like the, like when you, when you're in school, like in high school mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my God, I never noticed you before. Cause I was just not even paying attention. I think honestly, Joey on Friends might've had like a little hand in my love for Italian funny 
guys. Like, that is my type. Like, it, it, it's not so, yes, he's attractive, but it's not even so much that, like, there's something about his personality and who he is that is so exactly he's my type. He's just like a sweet soul. I just, and he's funny. Yeah. So, um, newfound love for Matt LeBlanc. And even oh, Ross looked the fucking same. I know. And he like, really I, I never liked Ross. I never liked his character. It's like, that's no secret. I feel like that's the same boat that most people are in who watch the show. Like, Ross is no one's favorite character. But, um, David Schwimmer, like, I feel like him himself, like, I know that they did say they wrote the character around him, mm-hmm. but there's just something that's just like, I don't know, like unlikable about his personality that I, I feel like he has like a little bit of like a bigger ego than he should. Does that come across to you or am I just kind of yeah, imagining things? Yeah, I've never like really loved David Schwimmer like as a human being. Like whenever I've seen him in interviews or anything, I never particularly loved him, but I do like Ross. I'm one of those people, like, he's definitely not my favorite, but I... I think he's funny. Like, I, I, but I like, all, ooh, I like all of them. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, what they're all unlikable. You know, like, they all have things about them that are so. Mm, I, well, continue. I was just going to disagree with you. Well, you can't, but I, I was going like, to interrupt Even in the disagree. thing they said, like, with, um, about Rachel, they were like, it was so hard to cast her because she can be so unlikable that they needed to find someone who was so likable that they couldn't, you know, right, they would make them fall in love with her. That's what I mean is, like, I feel like he, like, he, his real life persona is like not likable. Like it's not even just right. his character. So like no, it I makes agree. me not like his character. But yeah, I you know whatever didn't care for him. But it is he makes the show. He is part of the show. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. I could have done without Gaga. Um, she was very was, awkward. That was why was that so uncomfortable? I feel like Lisa Kudrow didn't know that that was going to happen. But then Lady Gaga did not handle it very well. It was all. It was, like, it was all a bit much, and there was just a lot of weird things, like, I don't know, but I thought, I did... They didn't have to do that. I did really, I did like the reunion overall. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was um, done well. The, I could have, yeah, like, I think most of the comments I saw were people saying, like, definitely people were not into James Corden. I thought he was fine. Like, that's how He's I always fine. feel about him. He's always fine. Um, but definitely also a lot of commentary about, like, could have done without all the celebs, and I agree. We didn't need all of the... Yeah. I... The celebs. It, it, it's funny Where to, was like, Paul Rudd? Where the fuck well, was that Paul was, Rudd? that was also, like, I think people were, like, DMing him or something. I think I heard, I heard through the grapevine like that people were totally mad at him. I feel like he would totally do that. Like, I feel like he, like, wasn't asked, or there was a really specific reason he couldn't do it, because he does, he'll do anything. Um, yeah, we were definitely missing Paul, but I think... Uh, it's kind of funny watching shows not only that you used to watch in your childhood as an adult and then and then realizing you know what what the message was that they were trying to send but now being closer to their age in the mm-hmm. show and we're older than them but we are <laughs> but also hearing about why the show is made and and yeah. the motivation behind it is is just it does hit close to home mm-hmm. and then it, it I mean it's kind of hard not to love friendship like I I don't know. I know that there's jealous people out there of other people's friendships, but I personally, like, even if I don't know you, but I can see your relationship with your friends is, like, genuine and, like, you genuinely mm-hmm. love each other. I'm like, I'm so happy for you. I, I love that for you, you know? Like, I just, I love people having good friendships. And yeah, that was one takeaway I took from it. And the other one was just that um, I think I also, a lot of realizations watching this reunion, one, my love for Matt LeBlanc, mm-hmm. and two, I think... This whole time, 
that I've been trying to dress myself. I've been trying to aspire to be Rachel Green. Mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of always been my underlying vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I mean, it all tracks. Like, I really am a Monica, and I, I see myself as such. You know, like, that's who I would... If I let myself be that type A, like, I could. I could go there, and I... It kills me because I'm like, you are the fittest person that's ever walked this earth. Like, fittest isn't, like, not like you have the best body or, like, the when she looks like she's, like, a gymnast or something. Like, when they showed that dance scene. Oh, I know. Her arms, she's so, t- she's like, like, jacked. Spelt. Yes, like, like a dancer or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, you're just the prettiest. And she's just so type A and so insane. And I just, I love her. Um, and, you know, I chose my confirmation name as Monica <laughs> because of her. Like, my love for her actually goes really deep. Um, so if you ever see Katie out on the street, call her Monica. I would love it. I would absolutely love it. You know what? I was going to tell a weird story. I'm not even going to. Okay, we digress. Um, I don't think I have really any other updates to speak of. Um, we both, I'll just touch and say, like, we've been giving updates. So we mentioned last week that we were about to get our second shots. We got them. Oh, let's just talk about, like, what what's going through our mind today now that we are fully vaccinated and we are, I mean, I've stepped out a few times in the world to get dinner here and there, but Katie has not stepped out since, since February of 2020. Yeah. I really don't know. I'm, I'm nervous to find out. I don't know if it's going, I mean, I, I know, I know I'm, I'm, are you feeling anxious about anything? A lot of things. Um, <laughs> I haven't been around anyone I didn't know without a mask on in a year and a half. Um, no one who doesn't know me has seen my teeth. There's nothing wrong with my teeth, but that's just something to note. Um, I I haven't been anywhere with that many people that's going to be that like loud with like that many sounds and like that much going on. I'm nervous. It'll be a little bit of sensory overload and I'm nervous that it will like, I, it's just going to be a little awkward. Like I just haven't done it this in a long time and like I just feel a little weird about it and I think it'll be pretty safe in terms of obviously COVID safe but also it's not like we're going to like a concert or something no you know? we're just gonna go like, we are dinner with Ray, into... um yeah like a local a local place it's that's why and that's partially why I wanted to go somewhere local and not in the city because I think the first time out if we go right into like in Center City in Philadelphia, like, I think I'll definitely be a little overwhelmed, but hopefully this will be a little bit of a way to, like, dip our toe in and, like, get, Well, you the know. other thing I think is just maybe the mask situation, because we've been in crowds in the city over the summer. I was so nervous, though. It was only, we were only there for protests or celebrations. Like, I would not have gone if I didn't feel it was a very monumental, important thing to be there. And you know, even at one point when I started getting really riled up at that one, um protest of last summer uh I started getting a little panicky when I started realizing how many people there were it was partially that I was getting ramped up and I was like we need to leave because I don't want to um punch this woman in the face but uh she was a Trump supporter of but then it was also like oh my there's so many people and it's not that I'm afraid necessarily in my mind it's not like oh my god I'm gonna get COVID It's just like, holy shit, this is a lot of people. And we're so short. 
you know, I guess if y'all don't know that, break it to you now. Christy and I are really short, so... I mean, we're, like, average. No, we're not. You're shorter than I am, but... Yeah, but neither but, of us are average. I think average is, like, 5'5". Five, five. We whatever. are not... We're way below average. But still, um, it's... It feels even more overwhelming. You know what I mean? Like, when you're a shorter person in a really big crowd or in a bigger place, it can feel kind of like no one even sees you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just, like, walking into you, bumping into you. And that's the stuff that I need to, like, get used to and build up a tolerance to. No one has been in my personal space in a long time. I think it'll just be a little bit of, um, you know, like a shock to the system of just, like, being at a restaurant in general. I don't know that... Right. You know, I think that overall, I do think that you'll be fine, especially because we have been in much larger crowds before. Although, yes, we were wearing a mask and, you know, now we'll be in a restaurant where we won't be wearing a mask. It does feel a little unnatural, but um, it does, I don't know, it is, it's an interesting way to think of things now just because you can't deny it. You can't ignore it. This is a part of life now and we did experience this. So it's not like we can just forget that we've been wearing masks for a whole year. Yeah. So it does kind of mess with your brain in terms of just how to justify that, okay, this is, this is what we wanted. This is what we do want. We do want to feel a sense of normalcy again, but it's just, oh God, I'm going to cringe even just saying the new normal. Um, we don't really even know what that is. I don't even know that there is a new normal. Like we are just kind of, I think we're just experimenting at this point to see what will now feel normal to us. So we have to just get used to it. It's just weird because it feels like I'm, I'm an extrovert and I had to learn how to shift my entire, my way of recharging when the pandemic hit. I couldn't be around a lot of people or go out to places. I used to thrive in environments, the busier, the louder, the more people I am in my element. Like I, I've never been someone who panics or gets social anxiety. If anything, you put me in a room, I'm going to start talking to everyone there. So that's why over the year and a half, I've changed. Mm -hmm. I had to. But now I'm afraid, like, will I go right back to it? And when I go out, will I be so excited and feel energized and feel really excited by it? Or am I different now? And now I you know, can I change my way of recharging again? Like, I don't know. You know, it's so funny that you say that because the other day I was actually just thinking about how, you know, now that we are nearing more and more people getting vaccinated and the world opening back up and travel starting to be much more common. And I was actually thinking about how I feel much more extroverted. Like Mm -hmm. I feel much more like in a place of craving human connection and like being around people and talking to new people and just being around different energy because I'm around people every single day, but it's the energy, it's the new energy of different people that I'm looking for. And it's, it's just interesting to see like what, I don't know, not necessarily has to happen in order for us to change and evolve over time, but for living our lives so extroverted and introverted up until this point and now you know it took something like a a global pandemic for us to then completely shift what we need in order to feel energized and like don't get me wrong I still love my introverted time like I am still very much I have a lot of introvert still left in me but I think I'm kind of teetering in between I guess what they would call an ambivert where I do love to still have time alone to recharge but I still am also like I think that's what I probably like that's what I've become mm-hmm. partially before the pandemic. I started working on that of not always just having to recharge through other people because that can be 
like it can be dicey as an extrovert that way I think but I think for now like it's it made maybe introverts realize what like you don't know what you got till it's gone and like when you no longer have the option to stay in because I think that's the cherished part of being an introvert is like the option to be like I know this whole world is going on outside but I'm gonna stay in here and be safe by myself and it's the choice and when that choice is taken away, you then want it. You're like, wait a second. Like, I want to go out. I want to mm-hmm. be with people. Whereas for me, I wanted to so badly all the time. And I had no choice. And it just like, I was like, okay, this is what it is now. And it was really hard for me for a while. And then I got, I settled into it. And now I I think it's just going to be something that I need to, I have to see. I really, I have no idea how it's going to go. And, um, and I guess we'll see. We will let you know next week. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a long journey of experimenting. And now that we are all kind of in another transition, we, you know, we've had, it took us a long time to get fairly acclimated with quarantine life. And now after a year, although it's been a long year, it's also, you know, here we are back again in another huge transition of life and the way of, you know, our day to day. So I do think that we may run into a lot of similar anxieties that we did in the beginning. I know that I have, I'm, I told you the other day, I was starting to feel the pressures of not so much the pressure that I, I had to go out and do things. It's more so just that I can't wait to do things. So I'm seizing a lot of opportunities and then trying to actually take a look back and be like, okay, did I overextend myself or am I going to overextend myself now that freedom is kind of, you know, a little bit more on the cusp. So reeling it in, it's, it's just going to be another wave of transition. And, you know, it's, it's a nice segue from our episode last week because we were talking about just our generation being in permanent transition. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just what life, that's just what life is. There's always seasons of your life that you're going to be, you know, growing into but this one is much more enormous yeah we'll let you know next week um how how our big foray out into the world together was um but now that we've gone on forever so let's dive into the actual meat of the episode so we are talking about alcohol today our relationships with it um we are both people who started drinking pretty young our first experiences with alcohol were pretty young Right? Um, I think we were. I mean, technically, well, how, I think. How old were you? I guess I was a sophomore in high school. So I was like 16. Yeah. Um, I, was I know some people younger who had, than that. <laughs> had like a first drink at like 12, but. I um, was 13. So. so yeah. So I think that, you know, it's usually within that. I was an preteen yeah. to teenage range that people have mm-hmm. their first taste of alcohol. And I think it's all dependent on like where you grow up, what kind of family you have. Because I think there's a lot of people too, like culturally, there's some people that drink with their families at a younger age, like are allowed to have wine with dinner and stuff like that. Like my family didn't do that. Um, you know, my parents kind of had like an open door policy of drinking wasn't the worst thing I could do. You know, like I wasn't really terrified of it. That's why I drank pretty young I'm sure is that I knew it was I'm Irish uh drinking is accepted socially acceptable in my family so like I think I was 13 and I was at a friend's house and his uh parents had a bar in the basement like everyone in Delco where I'm from does and everyone was taking shots that was the first time I ever drank was I took shots 
That is a bold move. Yes. Although, actually, no, that's, I think I did too. Did you? Because you don't know. You don't know what else to fucking do. Yeah, because then I. What are you going to make a mixed drink? You right. have no idea. I didn't, yeah, my first mixed drink was like, was a screwdriver because I was like, I don't know Same. what to mix together. Oh my God, screw My first mixed drink was at, gonna not try to not throw up everybody. I'm so sorry for this. <laughs> it was orange juice and Zambuca. Isn't Zambuca like, like pep- licorice? Yeah. Black licorice. I don't even fuck with licorice, like, in general. Ooh. I don't even fuck with the red kind, like, as a human. So that, and that, I can still, I can still taste that. That is quite a um, combo. And then moved on to screwdrivers. I was like, oh, this is better. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's crazy. But I think that first night I drank, I, we were taking shots of vodka. And I don't know, I, what I recall is that I, now I know looking back that this can't have been possible. I don't believe, or I believe I would have died. But I thought I took 13 <laughs> shots. Katie's but just what I think happened was, I probably took about four, three or four, That's realistically. That's a lot for a 13-year-old. And then they started giving me water. And I didn't notice, maybe until the 13th. And uh, then I... That does make much more Then sense. I found out. And all I remember, and this was not just me and this and this guy. It wasn't just the two of us. There was a, a group of us there. Um, and they were all like my pretty good friends. We were all drinking. It wasn't just me. I was in a safe environment. Um, and I grabbed that shot glass and I said, what is this fucking water? And I threw it and I tried to run away. And I ran out the door and I ran down the hill to a park. Frank the Tank over here. And I am. That's truly. And I ran. And I was like, if you're not giving me the good stuff, I'm fucking out. Ran away. And then fell asleep in the playground or. Kitty. Something happened in the playground. I either threw up there and then went home, fell asleep and then went home. Something happened in the playground and then I went home. I was okay. I called my mom. She came and got me. I told her I think I was having a fear attack, which is my blood disease. <laughs> and um if you my, there's no my mom was probably like you yeah, reek of like licorice yeah. and fucking <laughs> but she never said anything to me because her rule was I'll never you won't get in trouble for drinking as long as you call me and I come get you I mean that's fair she never wanted me to get in the car with somebody drunk so she had to that was her way of I think trying to make sure that I would be more afraid to drive with someone drunk because then I'm extra gonna get penalized plus maybe die mm-hmm. than if I just call her right Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, that was my first, what was wow, your first, mine uh, was much more mellow. Um, well, I think that's, I mean, I, that tracks. <laughs> it was, I'm trying to think of the first time. I think, no, I don't think the first time that I drank, uh, we were doing shots. I think that might've been like still very early on, but I think the first time I drank, we started very light with like a Smirnoff ice, you know, yeah. like a nice, like mm-hmm. a very like easy, Little introduction, doesn't really taste like alcohol, but, like, we're going to get fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, like, we thought that we were the shit because we were, like, I heard that if you put Jolly Ranchers in them, like, it'll, like, make it taste fruity. So we were, like, holy shit, <laughs> we are innovators. And so I don't know I don't know how many I had, but I definitely did not get drunk. But I think I remember – so I was hanging out in a basement of a friend's house. And, again, it wasn't, like, just me and one other person, but it was, like – a small Always in the group. basement of a friend's house. Of course, like in the basement of her of her mom's house, and um, it was just a handful of us. But I remember, like nobody else was really drunk because, like, they were fucking smearing off ice. It's practically mm-hmm. nothing. 
And I think in my head, I had a certain way that I thought drunk people were supposed to act, like girls in particular. Mm -hmm. So I remember like accosting my friend and I was like, I feel like we're probably just going to make out by the end of the night. And she was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) And I was like, right? Like, I'm so drunk. Like, we're probably just going to end up making out. She was like, literally Maya. Anybody that watches Pen15, I'm also dressed like her kind of right now. You really are. Um, But she was like, and I remember like thinking, I was like, do you not understand that's what drunk girls do? Like they make out, they kiss, like, hello, have you not, have you not, like, have you, were you born yesterday? Have you seen a movie? Have you ever seen a movie before? You ever turn on MTV? Um, So yeah, didn't get drunk, but I, then I, then it just fizzled out. I don't remember like the rest of the night. And I remember like. She was very frightened. She was like, I don't understand like, what you're talking. We're not going to kiss. I'm like, okay. We never did. Just spoiler yeah. alert. We never did. Yeah. Um, and then the second time, I think it was it was also with her. I did a lot of um, substance experimentation with her and like her older sister because her older her sister was like maybe like three or four years older than we were. So she was, um, you know, we would smoke weed all the time. Like I, you know, did a bunch of shit. But then I remember the next time I drank with her we were taking shots of vodka in her sister's room and it was, it was horrible. Like, mm-hmm. cause nobody knows how to take a shot at that age. So like we were just doing that classic, like one person was like drinking it. The other person was like just taking the whole shot in their mouth and then like, <laughs> I think that's dying. what I was doing. <laughs> they look like they want to die. Cause they're like, I can't swallow it. Oh God. Um, and then I don't think I got drunk then. So it really wasn't, I don't I think that after that we were like, let's just smoke weed. Like this is, this is okay, I guess, but no one really knows what they're doing. And I don't know, it like didn't do it for us. We just ended up smoking a lot of weed. Yeah, that's, we we tried weed that year too. Again, same group of people smoking out of apples, smoking out of tinfoil, you know, as we did in the day. Um, We also then moved on to, do you remember like Sky Vodka used to make like their version of a Smirnoff ice? Like it was like a sky, it was like a little blue bottle and it tasted like a Smirnoff, but it was made with sky vodka instead. Oh, okay. Those were my shit. Loved those. I'm from a trash place, so we drank a lot of 40s. Um, yeah, definitely. Like once we got older, I think like into our late, the late teens. That's See, we like flipped it. 40s were like... Oh, for your... Like young people drank 40s. Okay. In my, like in Delco, like you drink 40s in like 8th and ninth grade. Like that's like by the train tracks. <laughs> like, you know, like that's like how you come up. And then you start working your way. It's weird because then there's like a phase where you drink liquor. And then by the time you graduate, you're supposed to only want to drink beer. It's very bizarre. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because then like that's like when you're starting to go to parties. And like and everyone's like, no, just like beer. Yeah. I don't know why. And my it's my so earliest weird. memories of hanging out with you, because that's around the time we met, was late high school, mm-hmm. was a lot of kegs, mm-hmm. a lot of Natty Light. I had a Miller Lite sweatshirt that I wore like everywhere. And, like, not ironically. Like, you were like, no, like, I love this shit. Like, it wasn't even just to, like, be, like, it wasn't vintage, you know? Like, it is now, but, Remember yeah. you bought me a case of Rolling Rock for my 21st birthday, and... I, bought, I don't um, think I bought that for you. Yeah, you did, because you were 21. You were the only person I knew that was 21. You bought me a case of Rolling Rock, because it was my favorite beer at the time. Oh, okay. But I was, like, kind of over beer by that point, so I didn't really drink it. And then I left it in my trunk, and it for years. opened. Years and years. And when I went for my second, for my first day of one of my nannying jobs... They left the house, and as they walked by, they just noticed, like, a bunch of free, free rolling <laughs> beers, beers all over my car. And 
they didn't mind. And when I got home, I was like, oh, yeah, that's for my 21st birthday. I was like, if anything, you should be, like, relieved that the, if they were crushed and empty, True. that's a concern. Yeah, they if were you see full. a bunch of full beers rolling around, that's that might not say a problem. It's like, they're just old, and I, like, don't feel like throwing them away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's the first thought they had when they saw all of those. Yeah. Is <laughs> that they're just old. Listen, listen they were like... <laughs> It's fine. They left yeah. me with their three-week-old baby. They were like, all right, bye. They were doctors. Yeah. It was fine. No, um, and I, I really was fine. But I think my thinking back to my mindset when I first started drinking, when I was trying to drink, it you could tell how hard I was trying, you know, like to, to be like included in the crowd because I never really – I don't know if anyone instinctually feels drawn to alcohol, but sometimes people feel instinctually drawn to – Certain things to try, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just never, I just never really was attracted to alcohol. I really only did it in the beginning because everybody else was doing it. And I was curious, but also not curious enough to, like, seek it out. Yeah. And so I definitely just kind of went along with the crowd for the first couple of times that I tried it. And, of course, like, the taste isn't appealing. Like, nothing is really appealing about it. Um, and then once I got a little bit older, then I started hanging out with a different crowd and then it was like, okay, now I just have to force this upon myself in a way because this is just what people do. Like people in their late teens, early twenties, they drink forties in like a scummy apartment in Philadelphia. So after like a show, you know, like it's just Mm -hmm. like what people did. And it was fun. I will say, like I did have fun with my friends um, you know, I, I'm sure there were a couple situations that I maybe didn't put myself in that were the smartest, but luckily nothing major happened. I didn't experience anything, um, significant in terms of like any traumatic experiences. Um, and like all of my almost, well, not all of them, but I have quite a few traumatic experiences tied to alcohol mm -hmm. and, um, and that's, something that that's part of the reason why my like alcohol story has to be evaluated all the time right because there are things that go along with it that like I've mentioned on the podcast before I was sexually assaulted once when I was 15 16 um sometime in it's it's really hard I don't know (laughs) but I, I think I was a sophomore um I think I was a sophomore I was blackout drunk, and the second time, again, uh, was drunk but was asleep and came to, and that was, you know, when I was 20, and Christy was there for that one. Um, And then another time, I also was roofied and totaled a car. Um, Well, and that's... So there's a lot of things that I've put... I've And that... And those are the times that things went wrong. I put myself in very dangerous... Listen, I'm not blaming myself for being sexually assaulted, and I'm not blaming myself for being roofied. However, I summed a lot in my uh, teens and 20s. My desire to get fucked up and have fun definitely outweighed um, my logic and reasoning. And I, I can own that and I know that. And I also at the same time know that that is what everyone does. And that is what a lot of people do, men and women. So you can't really blame yourself because that's what everybody does. But at the same time, it's just worth noting that I'm aware, you know, that Maybe if that many bad things happen to you when you're drunk, like you would be like, maybe you should stop drinking. I wasn't able to think about that, I think, until quite a few years later. And then I did stop drinking like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped getting blackout. I stopped partying like I used to, for sure. Yeah. I mean, people, they dive into these types of social structures, social activities, 
blindly and it's not to their fault it's more so just that that's kind of how things naturally progress you know and then it starts to feel like a normal occurrence that you just get fucked up with your friends and this is not a PSA for any younger people to never try alcohol to never drink I do highly encourage people to be at least somewhat responsible you know like make sure that you're in like a yeah that you're with like trusted people but like yeah but at the same time if mm. if things do occur though either way like you know if if things do occur where even you are trying to prepare and be the most responsible things still happen so yeah that is the unfortunate side of alcohol use and anything that alters your reality like that but you know growing up for both of us it was definitely just a social activity like it is today and um I think that I was talking to you about this before is that you can kind of see how your relationship with alcohol starts and it's one thing and then as you get older it's still there but your mindset around it is completely different so then mm-hmm. it fuels and motivates different parts of you to do and well it's weird like I it's it's weird to think about how you and I we became friends when we were 17 we hung out for a solid two years without drinking. I would say like 17 and 18, you and I didn't, we weren't drinking. I, it's important to note, I drank throughout like from eighth grade until senior year or whatever. But then when Christy and I started going to shows and that's how we met, we, I started getting involved in hardcore shows and dating people. And a lot of people in that scene are straight edge or don't drink, do drugs if you're not familiar. So I didn't hang out with anyone who drank anymore really. So therefore I just stopped. I I would hang out with like my high school friends maybe once a month and drink with them or once every two months or something but it really wasn't most of the time you and I were hanging out in the early days uh we yeah we didn't we weren't really drinking even when we went to the shore like there's a couple of times we would go to the shore by ourselves stuff stone stone cold sober yeah I don't it just never was really a no uh, like I said it was just never something that I was naturally drawn to even if I even if I had the means to get it, like even if I knew somebody older than me that could buy it for me or whatever the case was, like I just never was like seeking out alcohol. Um, And then I think once I started to see other people around me partake in it, and then I think I started to kind of like drink, uh, use it a little bit more and start to feel the effects. So then I had the first time of getting drunk and um, I kind of saw what that was like. And I think I must have, I don't, to be honest, I don't remember the very first time, but I think most of my memories of drinking at a, as a teenager or like a young adult have been pretty fun for the most part. And I think that that's then what I started to gravitate towards was that feeling of being able to, what I thought was be myself and be, let my guard down because I was always very shy. Mm-hmm. I was very insecure. I was not extroverted or outgoing. I was not socially confident so I used alcohol as a crutch to be able to kind of like what I thought be vulnerable and you know open up to people or be able to like joke around with them in a way and not feel so restricted by my insecurity or like social anxiety so then it it had started to transform in that way where I started to use it that way and it was the more positive effect I got from it the more I would do it so then it just kind of snowballed into a thing where then you know you and I are then in our early 20s mid 20s with our two best friends and that's what we do we started to go out to clubs more well and- I think people were I think at that point because I'm still like thinking about it I it's where I I was very drawn to alcohol from the jump I I was one of those people who 
It was my idea to lose my virginity. It was my idea to get drunk. It was my, I am a, like a leader in that sense. Like I'm the person who like, I'm like, I know everyone else is scared. I'll do it. I will report back and I will let you know how it goes, but I want to do it. And there was something about it. I never felt peer pressured. I, I really think it was my idea. I think if anything, probably peer pressured other people to drink with me. Well, there um, were times that I will say that Katie 100%. would be like, you're not drinking, drink, chug it. And I'm like, oh Well, and God. especially with you, it wasn't like, I didn't do that much with other people. I did it with you because you, I, I knew that you felt so, like I, I knew why you drank and I knew that you felt like you were, but you would do it to other people. You would do it to like Bay and yeah, like, oh, like yeah, other yeah. people but too. Other, yeah, but with you it was like, I would do that kind of to, to fuck around. I In the beginning years, well, I think what I was going to say is the reason that we got, that I fell back into drinking and that you and I then started drinking is because you and I didn't go to college. Well, we went to community college. But a lot of our friends then went to college. So I had a friend who went to Drexel. I started partying with her um, and living like the college experience, if you will. And then a year later, we had another friend, the one who's another part of our friend group who went to college. We started hanging out with her, with her roommates. And we, we, you and I got like enmeshed in the college culture, even though we didn't go to Mm -hmm. college. We were at those parties drinking just like the other college kids and didn't have to go to class. Just didn't have to go to class. We just spent our nine to fives. Oh my God. It was truly a dream. Like you and I, I remember like sitting there being like, we got it fucking figured out. These ding-dongs like they don't they don't even know um like what school because the thing is they would wake up hungover and have no money and you and I would wake up hungover and be like let's go to fucking brunch because mm-hmm. we had full-time jobs and yeah. made good money um but I think at that time that's when we really I think the co- I think you and I both like I fell back into it and for you it was like okay now we're in this college culture and that's how it really started like, we started drinking again yeah, heavily. that was our common denominator for us. And, mm-hmm. like, then what sent us off on the trajectory that we went on to, which was then, you know, being and in we a, saw how dark it got. Yeah. yeah, no, we did. We saw dark sides of it. But at the same time, um, just amongst our close friend group, it started to grow and form into, you know, just our best, our close friend group. And then as we got a little bit older... We started to go to places like Atlantic City, and then we went to Vegas, and then we went to Miami. We love to dance, and we love so, to drink. We're, yeah, we're we, a dancing group, for sure. We became the girls that went to the clubs to, mm-hmm. like, to just drink and have fun and scope out hot just guys. Like, fuck guys and just like put our purses in a circle and, and just, just dance. dance around them. So, and that's what yeah. we did for most of our 20s. Or we, would go to like, <laughs> or we would go to like bars like around the city. Yeah. We lived in the city, so it did become part of our social but life. But we were drinking, I mean... You and I were always, for the most part, we never were weekday drinkers. There were times in my life where very brief stints, like a month here, two months there, were depending on who I was hanging out with, hanging out with, who you and I reached dating at the time. We might be drinking a bit more, but we were never like weekday drinkers. We were weekend warriors. Right. There anything. were, yeah, it was definitely a weekend activity. Yeah. It wasn't something that we did to maintain Actually, the week. you know what, though? That, that's... Not true. With you, I never drank with you so much during the week. That was when I started dating Ricky, though. And Ricky and his roommates, they drank every day of the week. And I, when I would stay with Ricky, we would go out to the bar. Mm. Tuesday nights was Tiger Beats. We had very specific nights at this bar, club, whatever we went to. Um, We did. I mean, I actually, yeah, I think I did drink more than I am remembering now. 
Well, I, I just mean, can't believe that I actually partied like that and then would get up and go to work. Um, well, we were younger and more resilient back then. But, it, uh, I mean, the moral of the story is just that from our early 20s until a few years ago, our relationship with alcohol was pretty... It had ebbs and flows, but for the most part, it was very much incorporated in our social life, no matter who we were hanging out with or who we were dating. And so, to not just get... We were... Um, our goal was to get drunk. Like, for the first, like, up, up until we were probably, like, 25 when we started drinking wine and, like, hanging out more casually, we would go out to get drunk. Like, we were drinking liquor. We were taking shots. We were doing whatever. We were we were partying pretty, pretty hard. And all of us were getting really drunk most of the time. Like, this was definitely that situation. And then it started to phase out to where we were like, okay – we're not going to go out to bars as much anymore. We all kind of moved away from each other. We weren't in the city. It wasn't as easy. So we're like, we're going to hang out and do like a more social, we're all going to drink wine. But we were all still getting pretty lit. We were all drinking a good amount of, more wine than I drink now. Like I, we were drinking a good amount. Yeah. And I, I More do, than I could drink in a sitting now, I mean. I want to point out, because I think this is an integral part of my story with alcohol, is just the fact that Although it was a very normal thing for me to do, it also, I didn't really make the correlation between, you know, whatever my individual relationship with alcohol is and what it is with me and the the people close in my life. And then also, you know, growing up with a dad who was an alcoholic, whose Mm -hmm. alcoholism eventually became a major factor in you know, the cause of a divorce between him and my mom. And so I don't need to go too much into detail about about my dad and, and his habits. But at the same time, you know, that's what I grew up watching. That's kind of... And it, he, was, he was somebody who was just very isolating. So he was there, but not there, really. Mm-hmm. And so then that started to come to the surface when I was dating, of course, because like we always say, your relationships with your parents starts to show itself in your relationships with other people, especially romantic partners. So my alcohol relationship then kind of shifted in a way where I felt comfortable and stable doing it myself but when I saw somebody else who may have been on the precipice of a potential problem or somebody who I thought alcohol was affecting my relationship with them became extremely difficult for me to handle I didn't know how to handle it I didn't know how to articulate what it was that I was feeling or what was coming up for me knowing that alcohol is playing a part in a lot of our problems. Mm -hmm. And for me to be trying so hard to like, you know, immaturely make the connections, I would just feel frustrated. And I would, I knew that there had to be some connection to my childhood and, you know, my feelings with my relationship. But it just, nothing really made sense. And all I knew was anger towards the other person. So... You know, I think that that's worth noting because it does play a huge part in how I view it. Even to this day, if I getting into another relationship, I've been through enough relationships now with people with either past addiction or current codependency or dependency problems to substances where, you know, it it does put me a little on guard. It, it just kind of makes me a little more aware of it's not to say that I can never have anybody in my life with a passive addiction. I think every, we know 
I don't know if you know anybody that doesn't have someone in their life that has an addiction. Yeah, like if you're not an addict, I mean, it's so... It's just so prevalent and everywhere. It, and it's hereditary. So even if it's like for me, first generationally, my parents are not alcoholics. But generationally within my family, my parents are the first ones to not be. So, and that is only because, I would I won't say only because, greatly due to my mom having the same blood disease that I do that means that she cannot drink it's not an option if she could life might be extremely different for me who knows my mom says it all the time herself like we don't know what that would have been like um but it's something that is so prevalent and it's something you have to like even though it's not something I'm dealing with day to day with my parents that that looms over me and that Mm -hmm. is the alcoholic um, within me and the addict within me is always there and whether it's something that you have like me where it's kind of in your actual DNA and it's you're not witnessing it as much as feeling it and worried about it or for you where it's like I saw it all the time and I'm still in contact with my mom who went through that you know what I mean like it's something that you will you had you see it you know what I mean like you actually witnessed it and either whether you're living it or you just know that it happened in your past or to somebody that you know it's it's everyone yeah and it's it's always gonna kind of be in the back of your head as far Mm -hmm. as what your you know what your fight or flight instincts start to become used to or or how they handle that feeling of meeting somebody new or you know, getting involved with another person who may have a past with addiction, you know, it does make me aware of that. And it is something that, you know, although I did not have the addiction myself, I'm constantly in mm-hmm. that process of of learning and recovering from living with an addict and dating addicts. And so, you know, it's not that, uh, you know, anybody has it harder per se. It's just, it's just a a nature of the beast type of thing. It's just a part of my life. And I've accepted and made peace with my past relationship where that did, the one that I was mentioning, that it did come up a lot. And I have been able to move on from it. And I I hold no hard feelings towards my dad or this person that I dated. But again, like I said, it is still an ever-growing process where I'm constantly trying to just digest these feelings and, and figure out what to do with them in future relationships. Yeah, and I think to bring, before we go, before we bring two up to future, the thing that changed from our mid to late 20s, like let's say 27-ish, 27, 28, we had gotten to the point where you and I were still drinking wine together. Um, Ray doesn't really drink almost ever. And, um, but we weren't really going out to bars or getting drunk. Like, well, you still were kind of sometimes. If I was single, when well, you were, yeah. even if I was in a relationship, going to bars was a, a normal weekend activity. Yeah. And, and you were going again, out more was, than me, but we were still probably both drinking um, same every amount. week. Yeah, the same amount. And then um, it started to shift more. I started to drink less. Like, I, I still drink as often, but the amount, it got less and less and less and less to the point where now I don't get drunk anymore because of partially my blood disease. It's too painful. And on the other hand, like, I just... I don't feel like it. Yeah. Uh, it's just something I've, I really got that out of my system. Mm-hmm. And now that I have to actually process all of the trauma and the things that I witnessed and experienced, I mean, the tales you tell, and I know everyone feels this way, like when you sit down and you're like, let me tell all the things I've seen and experienced when I was drunk. 
Um, and maybe I'm, maybe mine are a little bit worse than some, and maybe mine are a lot better than others, like, and a lot easier to deal with. But there's been a lot that I've had to start processing and understanding of how, for me, how scary it is to be blacked out or un, um, to be that drunk and that out of control. And so many things have happened when I've been like that. And it's always so bad. And I just, I don't, I don't have any desire to be like that anymore. So, and then, you know, you stopped drinking altogether, which helped me drink less for sure. You know, it's, it does, you know, I think that who you surround yourself with and what their relationship with like, or what their relationship is like with alcohol plays a little bit of an influence in how you may have a relationship with alcohol. And it's kind of the same way with anything. I think that you kind of always just feed off of your close circle of friends that you are with a lot or talk to a lot. Mm -hmm. But again, it's up to you to always just kind of figure out what's best for you. Um, But yeah, so I would say it's been almost two years since I stopped drinking completely. And my relationship came to a halt not by choice I had been I've been I was going to the doctor for one issue and and then incidentally had found out that I have a different issue so long story short I went through a series of tests and blood work and things like that and found out that I was diagnosed with something that I that prevents me from being able to drink ever again and it's a it is a situation that has the potential to be to be life-threatening and it because it was something that I was not looking for, I was not symptomatic for anything. I wasn't going to the doctor um, for that reason. And it was just kind of a slap in the face because basically what had happened was that I was diagnosed. Then I was told that you cannot drink. Drinking would pretty much speed up any any opportunity for you to develop a severe disease like liver disease. And, you know, it's fatal. So that scared the shit out of me. But at the same time, I was not prepared to let go of alcohol. I was in no way ready to hear this news. And I want to say, I just want to make note for anyone, that you, your, um, the reason that you had to stop drinking was not because of, like, that wasn't a physical effect of drinking previously. Because I think sometimes people hear liver and they think that like you've done liver damage to yourself from drinking so much. Like Mm -hmm. you didn't have to stop drinking because you had drank so much. Like it had nothing to do with your relationship to alcohol. It was a separate health. I just want to make that clear. I don't, you know what I mean? Like if just, just to make it be known that you didn't have an issue with alcohol in any way. No. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, But it was just, it was just, you know, a surprise. And um, it was a very challenging diagnosis. I mean, it was just a very challenging time because I, I I mean, there's so much detail behind that time in my life. I can't really go on because it's so long winded, but ultimately it was very difficult for me to, um, to accept. I just really could not, could not accept it. And I had put myself in a couple of situations that I was tempting fate and I had weaseled my way into negotiating with my doctor where he had given me permission to permission, quote unquote, um, you know, if you really, if you really need to just, you can drink once a month. And I, I took that and I ran with it. I drank once in July, once in August. And by August, the second time that I did it, um, I got, then I did get super sick. I got extremely sick for an extended period of time and it was awful. And 
it was it did it take it took several months for me to slowly to really ultimately process all of the feelings it wasn't something that i could just quickly just say okay so now my whole life has to change um no big deal but so it was a very it was a process it was it was a journey mm-hmm. and a lot of things that i remember in the beginning thinking was just one how am I ever going to socialize again? You know, like what do people do if they don't drink? The other thing that I was thinking about was, I don't know, it's just going to be awkward. Like there's so many things that I can't do now. And that's really where my mind went. It just went to all the things that I can't do. It was not looking at how much opportunity was, was in this. It was more so just like everything that was being taken away from me. So, you know, we learned and we grew from it and um, you know, maybe I'll go into detail about that at a later time, but, but just know that it was not an easy transition for me. And especially when it's not by choice, or even if it is by choice, sometimes I'm sure it can be very difficult for yeah. you to, <clears throat> to make peace with that decision because it is so prevalent in society. Like you don't realize how much people talk about drinking until you don't drink, whether mm-hmm. it's your decision or not. It's in every conversation not to mention, you know, during 2020, that's, it was, I'm sure, a very common way for people to cope. It's a, it's just common, it's just used so much, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. And that makes it really hard, but it kind of also just shows your strength that you can get through something that, um, you know, not everybody can do. Yeah. And I think it's something that, um, you know, I think about a lot because I think, like I mentioned, my mom is in the same position as you are. She can't drink because of a medical reason. It has nothing to do with drinking. She just can't. Um, and I most likely will be in that position as well. I My time with drinking is limited, and I know that. And it's kind of makes me feel, honestly, if I'm going to be honest and be selfish about it, it gives me peace knowing that you don't drink and that you're not going to be. I have you, like, waiting on the other side that I'm like, okay, well – when I have to give it up, at least it gets, it won't be that all my friends are still out partying, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we at least in our friend, and it's the same for you now. It's not like we're out here raging and you're just at home. Um, we luckily don't, well, we don't really have any friends, but even if we did, they don't, they don't, they don't, our friends wouldn't party like well, we that. Yeah. And also we're just too old to be, we're too old. We're too but old. Honestly, there's a lot of people our age. Who there, are so, are. there are. There are. I, you watch Summer House. I mean. Yeah, no, there are definitely are a lot of people that you would think, you know, you're a little too old to be raging out like that, but they still do. And here's the housewives. Thing. We watch all of them. Yeah. Everyone here's on Bravo. the thing though, is that I will say that although it's been almost two years and yes, I am in a much better place now and I've learned a lot about you know, my relationship with alcohol and how I used to use it in my life. But I will say that there are still times, if I'm being honest, that I do miss it. There are times yeah, that I miss that I miss being drunk with my friends. There are times that I miss the taste of wine. There's there's times that I miss, you know, when it could take the edge off after a long day. And I think that that's okay. And then mm-hmm. the the point of it is just that although those feelings may still be there, they get less intense over time. And I have found so much of the opportunity in um, not drinking, so much of the benefits of what can kind of be birthed out of a new way of life um, as opposed to looking at it always as like, you know, being, um, being deprived of something. There's actually so much that, I'm, that I've been given. I've been given this new outlook of like not only what I was using – 
alcohol for before as a way to what I thought be myself when really this is myself now that I don't drink. And Mm -hmm. that's a scary thought. It was a very scary thought to be in so many social situations with people, you know, friends old and new. And they're going to see all of me. They're going to see like who I actually am in a social setting without a crutch. And that's a scary thought. But once you get through it a few times, it does start to feel good that, oh, wow, these people actually like me for me. They actually can see, you know, the quality that I bring to this relationship. And that's a good feeling that now I I wouldn't even really want to be altered because then I wouldn't, I don't like the feeling of not being myself. Like I want to always feel like Mm. I'm being authentic. And that's what alcohol was actually depriving me from. Um, And that was a huge lesson. Yeah. One I want to bring up before I forget is that on that note is um, at the same time, it was very weird and maybe it was the universe. At the same time that you stopped drinking was at the same time that I heard Ruby Warrington, I believe it was probably on That's So Retrograde, I believe is what she was on. Um, she wrote a book called Sober Curious, and it's about literally look this exact conversation. Just taking a look at your drinking, thinking about why you're drinking, when you're drinking, how often, how much, how you feel afterward. Um, uh, you know, all of those aspects. And, and finding a way to, like you said, like that celebration of what you're gaining mm-hmm. and she made note I remember even telling you at the time like when you first stopped drinking I was like you should read this because she tells you to like you were going to like a wedding I think mm-hmm. and you were really worried mm-hmm. and Ruby Warrington instructs you to kind of write down like I went to my first sober wedding I went to my first sober party I went to my first sober happy hour I went to and make note of how those experiences went for you and then you start seeing like I actually might have more fun at some of these things not drinking than I do when I am drinking. Um, you see so much about people. Like mm-hmm. you, when you are the only, um, well, one of the only people, because I'm sure that there's, you know, there's other people that don't drink, but when you can see a vast majority of the people of where you are drinking and what that does to them, and you can kind of almost see them using alcohol the same way that I used to too. And it's yeah. very understandable. And I don't, you know, it's not one of those things where I'm just always, like, pointing my finger at people and, and you know, I'm not, like, self-righteous about it. But it's, it is interesting to kind of see, like, that was me at one point. And I had no mm-hmm. idea. And when you do get to see it from the outside and then realize that that's kind of probably what everybody is doing, it makes you feel a little bit, I guess, just more at ease and that, you know, you're not the only one. And, and if anything... Not having a hangover is fantastic. Yeah. Um, there's also that's so honestly many... my number one for not getting drunk anymore. It's great. That's it really it. is. You can you can n- wake up never having to worry about wasting another forty eight to seventy two hours because your body is just just deteriorating from the alcohol. And not only that, but just the mental the mental despair the next day. Like you get depressed. You get Mm -hmm. so, you feel guilty about things and like shit that you've done and you're embarrassed and you're ashamed Mm and oh my God, it's the snowball effect. And the other thing that I realized by not drinking is just like the amount of time that you take in order to get drunk, like that is so short in comparison to how much like is that really worth it to to get drunk for a few hours and then feel like shit for two whole days afterwards mm-hmm. like you didn't even spend that much time doing this thing and now 
now you have to deal with the consequences for even longer than it took to even get there. So it's just like, yeah, I can't. It, it's completely I would unbalanced. Be willing, I, I would be willing to like, if, if we went on a trip and really went somewhere and we went like all out, I'd be like, I'll, I'm willing, I know I will be hungover tomorrow, but like I will have a night tonight, like I'm going to do my thing. And you would prepare it, I would prepare, day. it would be like, a, for, or for like somebody like if it, like when you get, if and when you get married or like I will be drunk at your wedding. There are certain things that like, I'm going to go hard. Sure. And I will know that and I will prepare, but I, I didn't even get, I didn't even get fucked up like that at my own bachelorette party. No. There was not one night. Most of the nights, honestly, I was like, Katie's always been like the Goodbye. most sober out of the group, <laughs> but because she's need, she's needed to be the eyes and ears for our yeah. sober friends. And I also just out. have, a, to be honest, I think I just have the highest tolerance. Um, just, that's just the, what my Irish bones have done to me. Um, I've always just had a high tolerance, which kind of goes hand in hand with my drinking is like because I I can just I can just drink I can keep drinking socially and not get super drunk so it's like a weird juxtaposition but now I wanted to mention too before we um you know now that we're bringing into like present time with our drinking so obviously you don't drink I will mention that for anyone out there who has friends that have gotten sober whether it was because of a medical reason because they were uh, addicted because they just wanted to whatever you know, it's, you feel bad because it's in no way will it ever equate to like the person themselves going through it. So there's never going to be a time and place to be like, yeah, like this fucking sucks. Like, like we mentioned, we drank together for 12 years, you know, or 10 years at that point to you and I as particularly like the two of us out of our entire group. And I was like, well, all right well shit okay I guess um I was like no you know what yeah it's fine it'll be fun um and luckily I mean our our relationship really hasn't changed um oh yeah so like are you saying just like as somebody who does still drink occasionally yeah like if you have somebody who stopped yeah who if you have a friend or a family member that you used to drink with it can be it doesn't have to be so scary like you think that because that was like one of the main points of connection for us no because it's like you're mourning the like oh we're never gonna get fucked up together oh again. well yeah like I mean, we don't we don't we're not we're not gonna sit outside and drink a bottle of wine together we're no. not going to do like a bunch of things that i think would typically that we would normally do and it's it's you have I to think, give yourself a minute the yes. same way that the person themselves has to be like okay i'm gonna mourn that for there's, a second there's but, definitely a grieving period and i mm-hmm. think that that is important to embrace because if you just glaze over it as though oh it'll yeah it'll be fine like you're just constantly going to be feeling like there's something missing or you're not, you know, it just won't feel fully peaceful for you. And it's just weird. Like even for a while, like now it's been two years We're we're in like a, a rhythm and a whatever. But I guess it's been weird though with coronavirus. Like we really haven't gone out. Well, here's the thing is that it's been I've, a weird time. I've gone out with people. I've been to bars since or like bar restaurants since where everybody around me is drinking and I'm not. And you know, some people know the real reason why. Some people don't just because it's there's like a time and yeah. place. But um, I I think that when we do, when the world does start to open back up a little bit more, hopefully, that, you know, even if you were to want to go somewhere, if you felt like you wanted to go to like a, well, I don't know about a winery, but like, or even oh like God, a... Yeah, that would be ridiculous. Like, a, that would be a little bit, you know, maybe too far. Well, even like tonight, I will have wine at dinner That's tonight, what I'm saying. I'm sure. Like, if we go out somewhere um, and you're drinking, it's, I'm totally fine, where I don't even, no, I don't even right. think about well, it. Well, now we're at that point, but in the beginning, it's hard, because you, it's hard for you to not be able to, and it's also like, I'm like, 
I'm always like, is this, remember for like the first six months, I was always like, do you, do you care? Should I not have wine now? Like, should I not? And and now we've, I think, found a middle ground where most of the time that we're together, I'm not drinking. There might be a small overlap at one point where I'll, like, have a glass of wine intermittently in our passing or at dinner or whatever. Um, and it also helps that Ray doesn't really drink, and it's just not a well, thing. Well, I think it's but... always important to check in with each other, you know, which yeah. I think that, like, we've kind of done, like, you and I are never... Like, we're so in tune with each other that sometimes we don't really need to have the actual conversation, but I think that anybody else who may be in a similar situation, there's nothing wrong with just periodically checking in, like, is this okay? Or, like, how are you feeling at your point in your sobriety? Um, Or even if you have, like, a friend who's pregnant, to be honest, who can't drink. Like, even if you have, like, anyone who's, like, who 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 can't can't drink. And it's just, like, because I get it even, you know, we always make that John Mulaney joke, you know, which now is, is... yeah, I, I, holds a, hits a different way for me because like I'm a little angry with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know he would make the joke that when he was sober and he would go to people's houses and never be drinking, they would like find like an old turn up <laughs> and be like, "Is this good for you? Like, like, do you want this?" And I have always felt that way as a vegetarian, and it's the same. Like I get the same feeling. I know what it's like to be in a place. Everyone's doing this, and that's like what's normal. And you're like, I, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I don't do that. Don't and do they're that. always like, oh, um. Like, it's more uncomfortable for them. Do you want to, like, wait outside? Yeah. Or, and I'm like, no. You, so, like, I, I get the feeling of, even though it's different, to, to be a little different than what everyone else is doing. And then to for other people to, like, try to make accommodations. And you're like, just, you know what? Just don't fine. worry about it. I'll, I'll yeah. take care of it myself. It's um, well, And that's the other thing is that, like, you notice that those... Like, it's usually the other people, like, as the people that don't really drink and then seeing other people, how they deal with it, they almost feel more uncomfortable than you do. Because it's so societally ingrained. Like we said, like, when you're happy, when you're sad, whenever, at least, and I won't speak for all countries, but in America, at least, like, here, that is, that's what we do. Like, people don't even ask, like, oh, do you drink? Would you like one? It's always like, No, it's what what do you want to drink? Right. Like, they just, it's always I have beer, I have wine, I have liquor, Mm -hmm. um, I have mixed drinks. Like, what do you, Like, do you have a juice or something? And then they're always like, oh. Like a uh, coffee. I might have Kool-Aid. I'll ask for a coffee. Like, I I went to, like, a couple, um, a couple, like, social gatherings, and they were, like, it was, like, around dinner time. So everybody's, like, drinking wine, and they were like, you know, what can I get you? And I was like, I mean, I guess a coffee. So, like, now, like, I've just replaced my... Well, there's a reason that why people in AA love love coffee. <laughs> it does. I mean, it gives you, a, like, a little bit of, like, the caffeine is, a, is like, a nice little... Um, and it's something to do. Yeah, like, it's just, like, it's like a hand, it's like a hand mouth, uh, what is that word? Oral fixation. Yeah, like a hand it's like oral, an oral fixation yeah. type of thing. And the other thing I wanted to, I wanted to bring up is that, um, you know, if you're, if you are somebody who still drinks like me and... You, whether you have a reason like I do or Christy did uh, within your family to really evaluate or a medical reason to evaluate your drinking, it's still always worth considering. And even if you think in your mind, I have no reason at all to worry. No one in my family's ever been an alcoholic. I don't know anyone who's an alcoholic. I feel great. Okay. But maybe just take an extra step and maybe look into Ruby Warrington or read Super Curious or just reflect on like, why are you drinking? I think that's the question I ask myself every day. Not every day. Every time I drink. I, ha- I ask myself a few questions. I ask myself, why am I drinking? I'm asking myself, what do I... Like, what am, what's the cause of it? So am I sad? Am I celebrating? Am I... Ha- like, what is the cause? What do I expect to get from drinking? Like, what do I expect to feel at the end of this? And um, it, do I want it? 
is do I really actually want it? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it can be habit forming. So somebody says, we're going to happy hour. Do you want to come? You're like, yep, I want to go. You're there. You're drinking. You never even think like, do I actually want alcohol today? What is my day tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Like, how am I going to feel later? Have I eaten a lot today? Like constantly asking yourself those questions and checking in with yourself is important. And I read an article I wanted to touch on this week that actually came out like five days ago. It was on USA Today and it was, it was about gray area drinking. And the definition of a gray, of gray area drinking is someone that's not so far into their drinking that their body is dependent. They're not in the severe end of the spectrum, but they are drinking in a way that makes their life worse as opposed to better. And there's a woman in this article who was saying that she's been sober for nine years. She was an alcoholic and she was a gray area drinker for many years before she was an alcoholic. And she wished that she knew that um, because gray area drinkers it, it is it's called gray area for mm-hmm. a reason. It's really hard to figure out if you are drinking is a problem or not. And one of the questions that they ask you is, um, and you can go online if you Google USA Today gray area drinking, read the article. There's some quizzes in there and some things that can help you figure it out. I took the quiz myself and um, I am on like the very low spectrum. I am okay. But if at any time... I think it's important to know what those questions are so that if you start doing any of those things, you already know like, okay, if I start doing any of those things, then I'm going to have to stop drinking. Instead of, I've missed work three days this week. My friends are really mad at me. I keep getting into fights with everyone. Is my drinking a problem? Like, no, it is. That's gone too far. Um, So if it's impacting your life in a negative way or you're doing it to change your mood, So my thing is, like, I ask myself if I say, like, why are you drinking? I'm drinking because I like the taste of rosé and it's really nice outside and I want to sit outside and drink a glass of Mm rosé, okay? What do I expect to feel afterward? My answer always has to be, I don't expect to feel any different. I I don't expect to be happier, sadder, more energetic. I expect no outcome. Alcohol does not fix anything for me. It's not going to change anything for me. If you find yourself drinking and saying, I expect it to make me happier. I expect it to make me, like you said, more outgoing, more fun, more socially acceptable. And you're drinking for any reason other than I want to right now and enjoy it, then it's something worth uh, considering. I think that, yeah, once you start to recognize certain patterns in your life that did not serve you for a large majority of your life before, it is important to always check in with yourself as well and to be asking yourself questions and it doesn't always have to center around drinking. It can be about anything. But yeah, you know, I've, I text Christy twice a week, and I'm like, I diagnose myself with, I'm like, I think, well, I've, I've I think I got something else wrong with me. I've found myself even, like, if I'm making the same mistake, or, like, if I if I make another mistake that I've made in the past that I thought that I had learned from and grown from, yes, I have learned and grown from those things, but I'm still a human being, so I'm still prone to slipping back in. Momentary lapses of judgment do occur. Mm-hmm. I was just talking about one, and the important thing is to ask your have a conversation with yourself as though you're talking to a friend who's coming to you and saying, "Oh my God, I just made another mistake. Why did I? Why do I keep doing this?" It's important to have the same type of language and conversation that you have with other people that and have it with yourself. You mm-hmm. know, the positive, not always positive, but the compassionate and understanding self-talk that you would have with someone else. And one of the major takeaways that I've gotten from my experience that has really helped me um, just continue to cope and recover from, you know, 
processing my feelings of this new way of living is just being much more mindful about my body and how I feel about my body and how, you know, one, I think in the, in the midst of my, um, you know, rationalizing that I have this new disease that could potentially be life-threatening, I started to look into all of the different functions and benefits and just um, mechanics of my organs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I had a much bigger appreciation for my body and what it does for me to keep me healthy and alive than I ever had before. And I started to look at just like my, my organs as individual entities that I now have feelings for, you know, like I feel compassionate for them. If I feel like I'm not eating well enough, or if I'm slacking in some way, I start to feel bad for my organs. You know, I know that sounds super silly, but once I... I think I'm used to it because you've been telling me that for like two years. So like, I'm I'm used to hearing you say it, but it's much more, it's much more magnified now, now that I've had a little taste of my, my mortality, where it's like, that's a real thing. This Mm -hmm. could really happen. I I can't just go on living as though I'm going to have, you know, anything could happen. And you know, I'm not saying that everybody out there is going to just magically become diagnosed with a new disease that's going to have, you know, this major effect on their life, but that's what it took for me in order to just start appreciating myself a lot more and wanting to take care of my body more and wanting to nourish it in a way that it's going to thrive instead of just just dumping poison into it and for what reason, you know? Like it was it Yes, I used it as a security blanket and I don't fault myself, but at the same time, you can't do that forever. You know, it, it will catch yeah. up to you. And that and that's the yeah, and that's the thing is like, you know, like we said, whether you're using alcohol as a coping mechanism and you're avoiding your feelings and what you're really dealing with, like there it's going to be there when you get sober or like when you're there the next day, you can't just keep getting drunk. The things are going to be there and, you know, for you like it's for anyone, even on the physical side, like you said, like if you're somebody who does enjoy drinking like I do and you're like, I, I don't want to have her have to stop. I mean, I probably will because of my blood disease. But if there's a lot of people who drink till the goddamn day they die, if you're somebody who wants to be able to still have wine with your friends like Chris Jenner and be out there like doing the damn thing, you can't fuck it up now. So it, and this is not to somebody who's an alcoholic. This is somebody who's you're drinking too much for fun mm-hmm. and you have control. Pump the brakes and it's play the long game, you know, like if you fuck your liver up now, that's it for you. Mm-hmm. You're done. You and it's so one. easy to do the same way that I still panic about all those goddamn tanning beds that I went into as a teenager. You, you don't know the damage that you're doing when you're just young and stupid and living your life. You can't comprehend that I can't go in the sun ever again. You know, like literally I'm not allowed to ever go in the sun pretty much ever again. That's some real shit. And it's shifting your perception so if you are somebody like me who has addictive personality has alcoholism that runs in your family but you do still want to drink and you're in an okay place now shift who you're surrounding yourself with to put yourself in the best situation because the one I'm in now it encourages me to not really drink uh so I can play the long game and do it safely and I I feel like the term guilty by association is not necessarily that, you know, how, like I know that how that pertains to how people view you, but you should also think about it from your, from your own standpoint of, am I surrounding myself with people who are negative influences, not just on my habits, but just 
what I aspire to be like. Do I want to remain stagnant and constantly partying because we are running away from our problems or because we are numbing our pain? And again, I, I understand that these things happen, but you know, if you're getting an inkling of feeling an aversion to it and you can't really seem to get yourself out of it, just take a beat and just think about about take a look at your life and like what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think the why question is really yeah. Helpful. Why is number one? I think because you can you can identify mm. certain things, but asking yourself why is really the trick to getting to know yourself in some way. So, um, so yeah, and just just being mindful of of your habits and your behavior. And you know, we will tag some resources. Um, I'm gonna tag. I'll at least try to figure out, um, you know, the gray area drinking. I'm going to tag the Sober Curious book on our Instagram post this week. So if you are if you want some more resources, we'll make sure to supply some more resources. I'm also going to make sure that we post the link to, uh, to Al-Anon and to some things that if you do feel that you or someone you know is in a more um, serious position with alcohol, there's resources for that too. We're not it, but they're out there for you and I want to make sure you all have access to them. And um, before we go, let's go over our diamonds real yeah, quick. Yeah, we'll quick diamonds. My, yeah, we're going to do this quick because uh, as per usual, was the guy's Ray's going to be here any second. <laughs> um, our one friend. So we, um, okay, this week my diamond is that I still am not done yet. I still have a few more fucking episodes somehow. But I'm almost done Shrill, uh, A.D. Bryant's show on Hulu. So good. I knew that I would like it. I love A.D. Bryant. I, I say all the time that I actually think she's the Will Ferrell of our generation. I don't think she gets nearly enough credit. You cannot watch her on SNL and not the minute you see her start crying laughing. Her as Ted Cruz, like, there's nothing better. I just love her. So I've been wanting to watch it. I just kind of never got around to it. Um, I finally did. And as somebody who, I, I have never been considered plus size. I've never existed in a larger body. However, I have obviously body dysmorphia and eating issues and the the confidence issues that come along with that. So I totally relate. I also have a lot of people, I've known a lot of people, my friends and family that have struggled with their weight and their confidence because of it. And I thought this was just such a perfectly accurate portrayal of how no matter how you see yourself, one of my major takeaways from the show is no matter how you see yourself, you can find people out there in the world that will back that up. So if you see yourself in a negative light, you're going to find people who also think that you're ugly and you're going to hear them and you're only going to see them. If you think that you are stunning, you are only going to see people who think you're stunning and you're going to see that reflected. So however you see yourself or experience the world, um, you're looking for things that back that up Mm -hmm. and you're going to find it. So, And it's kind of the journey of her character Annie getting confident and and what happens to women when they're not confident what situations you put yourself in the the things that you find yourself in um and ultimately you know kind of being she is a bit of a victim and then even has to confront that like taking ownership of the things that do go wrong in your life is even part of gaining confidence you know and not being this passive life is just happening to you and there's nothing you can do type thing yeah, I think when you when you start to build the self love and acceptance, then you can start pour, like you can start pouring it out into the world and then attracting those types of people. So just really quick, my diamond is that I have rediscovered um, videos on YouTube of 
choreographed dances to mm -hmm. hip-hop songs and I've realized that I think that that's just what's missing in, in not only my life but other people's lives as well because then as per usual I'm not on YouTube very often but if I have like a quick little feeling of inspiration and I'm like all right I need to watch something that's gonna amp me up I'm gonna watch a choreographed dance to like a Nicki Minaj song or something and then mm -hmm. I went into our old haunts of um remember Yanis Marshall the French choreographer with the heels mm -hmm. and then I started watching VMA performances um from like 99 of like Britney and NSYNC and I was like where is this like where is this in today's world like if this is oh it's, it's such a travesty that it is but it's not the same there's real dancers on there it's not the same. It's totally not the same because, like, on the VMAs especially, like, well, when no, it's, like... Well, VMAs, there's no comparison When it's, that. like, an entire stage of people who are just fucking nailing it, mm -hmm. I'm just, like... And it's Britney, and I'm, like, oh, somebody... Beyonce? Jesus, take the wheel. Who run the world? Oh, that performance? I, I highly Legendary. recommend... You can't not feel good and amped yeah. up when you're watching a video like that. So, that was my diamond. It got me through a couple days where I was, like, you know what? Fuck the system, fuck the world, mm -hmm. and um, I just put on I just put on a, a video on YouTube. So, Sometimes that's what you got to do. So whether you want to watch a dancing video or you want to watch Shrill, honestly, both will give you a boost in your confidence. Um, so wow. do that. And Ray's here, and we have to go to a restaurant. We're gonna go out oh into God, the world. That's so scary. Okay, so catch us on Instagram at we don't know her pod. You can send us a DM with your thoughts and feelings. You could also go subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Um, leave a review. That would be really great. We know we request it all the time. And uh, even just a rating. That's fine, yeah. too. Uh, we'll take whatever. And we will catch y'all on the next one. Okay, bye. Peace.